Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Brooks Hall. The place hits it at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It's Talking Out Loud, our official third season, but god damn, I've been doing this for seven years now, bringing you the best podcast in the Atlantic 10, specifically covering your Dayton Flyers. It is absolutely a joy to be with you for episode number one. I go by Sully. I have for quite some time, namely my whole life, and I am joined by Drew tonight. Drew, it's been a long time since we caught up, man. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Uh, just moved into a new place, so we're we're digging stuff out of boxes to get make sure this show goes forward. But we, we're we're gonna press on. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to be back. You're five for me. So yeah. time go time flies. It's gone in a flash. It's gone in a flash. Yeah. You're five for me. So uh, excited to get into it. Yeah. Um. You know, starting the show tonight, Drew. I have listened to a lot of preview podcasts for college basketball i say a lot maybe getting into double digits now and i have learned that a lot of these preseason podcasts absolutely fucking stink and i have an appreciation for why i'm so goddamn good at this and why you keep listening because preseason podcasts are all about the platitudes right and specifically, you know what I'm talking about, Drew. They go line by line in the conference and let's list out all these players. And then they start to go player by player and say, oh, man, this dude can do some damage, which is, of course, like a nothing statement. It literally means nothing. Or one of my favorites, Drew, is and you can see where I'm going with this segment. I want to start with attitudes and nonsense that is said on preseason podcasts that essentially means nothing. And before I do go further down this list, I want you to know, fair listener of Talking Out Loud, we will never bullshit you on this podcast, nor will we leave you with baseless and frankly, I guess statements that don't mean anything, okay? We're not going to do that on this show. We're going to tell it like it is. We're going to say shit that matters, and we're going to say stuff that you care about. So I started with my favorite one. This guy can do some damage. Brooks, I think, said it on the, on the segment coming up here, um, <laughs> which, which I, I think uh, I'm slamming him a little bit here. Not, it's, this, isn't demand, this isn't like directed at Brooks. But the second one, this is from many podcasts I've listened to here in the preseason. The other one is, I like this guy. Man, I like this guy. <laughs> he can really play, man fuck does that mean you like this guy you don't like him you know, what do you, you got beers with him after uh, after practice did you you sit down and just, you don't like him you know there's so much like personal emotion that is put into like a lot of these reactions 
And again, stuff that doesn't mean anything. I was listening to one the other day where these guys started to say, boy, you know, like what I would really love is if this team, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you don't know this team. You are previewing the WAC conference right now. You don't know these guys. You don't know the coach personally. Stop with the platitudes, people. Do you have any, Drew, that you'd like to bring to the show before we move on to the next topic? Um, what, like, I love best shape of their life or anything, oh, yes. along, oh, like, yes. anything along those lines. Uh, <laughs> th- that always gets me because it's like, all right, well, we know not to expect anything from this guy this year because if that's all they're saying when you come into training camp or whatever it is, you know, if they're not giving me something substantial or some, like, actual evidence of, like, oh, no, like, I was watching them shoot threes in practice. They were only making 25 of 100 last year. They're making 60 of 100 now. That's actually something I can like wrap my head around, picture, <laughs> yeah. and then apply to what I'm going to see. Another one is if everything goes right, this team will be X. It's if like, everything well, goes right. No how, injuries, How man. many times in a, in a – not even college basketball, just any sport in any season, how often does everything go right? Five percent of the time, three percent of the time, lower. I'm, <laughs> I'm your say guess never. is as good as mine, but the, like those are the two that really they stick Grind out to me. Gears. Where if I hear people say like those things, I'm like, all right, you know, you can just say it's like, all right, I'm going to read off the WAC conference standings from last year. This is what we got. This is how I think it's going to finish, and then talk about like some actual players of consequence within that league. It's really yeah. not that. It's not that hard of a formula to figure out. It really isn't. And guys got to stop with this, like going through the conference line by line, team by team. Nobody, I know you Dayton fans. There's like maybe 15 of you that give a rat's ass about what LaSalle is up to right now or the season outlook on UMass, man. Like Duquesne's Duquesne's a perfect example. I've seen a lot of the gassing up of Duquesne this year. It's like, oh, okay, they're gassing up Duquesne again. So they're going to go 5-13 and in A-10 play. Got it. <laughs> you know, in uh, in the nature and the, the name of keeping it real for you, this season is a lot like many others going into the A-10 conference where I think you can carve out about five or six teams that going into the season have a legitimate shot to go to the NCAA tournament. So that's that's where we'll move on to tonight is that you as a listener are probably asking yourself the high-level questions. Again, I don't know who the point guard is for LaSalle. I couldn't name a single guy on Fordham's roster. And you know why? Because those teams don't matter, all right? And that's why the losses of them hurt so much. And that's why being in the A-10 is the league that it is because you have to take care of those teams. You got to take care of business. And then you turn the page and move on. So we won't sit here belaboring the conference, but what I will tell you, fair listeners, going into the 23 season, the 2023 season, I think we all agreed now moving into these years of our life that the the end of the season, 2023, is how you refer to the season. We agreed with that. Correct. Right? Yeah, yes, correct. So, we, we've established this on the show before. We have. Um, so going into the 23 season here, uh, I see five teams in the A-10 that, that legitimately could contend for an NCAA tournament bid. And then the rest, argue about them at their leisure, your leisure, however much time you have to argue those things, but they don't matter. They just do not matter. And so I will do the the dirty work for you. In the A-10 conference coming up this year, um, I think Davidson has a chance if the drop-off isn't as extreme as we think it can be. When you lose a coach like McKillop, he almost has to hire his son to 
not have a drop off that's significant. Um, St. Louis and Dayton will be at the top of the conversation in every preseason ranking. VCU will be right behind them. Um, so don't put too much stock into preseason rankings, people, because they're all going to have St. Louis, Dayton, and VCU. And if you're getting your panties in a bunch about what the order is of those three teams, you're doing this all wrong, all right? We got plenty of opportunities straight out of the gate to find out if Dayton's the best team in the A-10 heading into the conference season, and you're not going to find out by reading the power rankings on some two-bit blog uh, deep on the internet, okay? So... If we're establishing that Dayton, St. Louis, and VCU are the top three, Davidson, I think, has a chance to, again, kind of rebound from a, a coaching change, even though it was slight. Um, and then from there, you have a couple of programs that are taking steps back. Richmond, for fairly obvious reasons. Um, and, and that's kind of where it ends. Five teams, Loyola adding into the mix might make it six here. But I, I will caution you, listeners, and Drew, I'll caution you too, Drew. Do not buy into the hype around URI or the talent that Archie Miller is bringing in. We all saw what Archie Miller did in year one at UD. We all saw what he did in year two at UD. It's going to be a bumpy road, and URI fans are going to be talking themselves into roses and lots of winning, but we all know that when you change your regimes and things weren't going well, the ride is bumpy, and it involves a lot of losing. Drew, anything you'd like to bring full circle and cap that off the, my thing with preseason rankings is that all they are are a vehicle for discussion just Correct. like any it's why people on espn find a million different ways to rank quarterbacks in the month of june they're getting it's your dumbass talking all right right so quit so buying into like, them if you if you think we're you know you think we're too high or if you're a fan of another atlantic 10 team you say oh like dayton they shouldn't be ranked that high they should be lower it it's it's pointless because all it is is it's vehicles for discussion in with preseason, like, yeah, preseason, go look at the preseason, like, NFL predictions this year. You're going to find some hilarity in the list, and we're only f four weeks and one game into it. Like, that's all it is. We don't know. We're not going to know until the balls get tipped in November. Until then, all they are are vehicles for discussion, you know, and quite frankly, I think it leads to empty discussion because you're not putting anything quantifiable behind, you're just putting names, you're just putting names on next to numbers on a list. Yeah, that's what I, and that's exactly what I meant. It's vapid, baseless discussion about I like this guy, or here's what I want to do or see, and it's it's that's that's nothing. That's just filler. All right, people, we're gonna keep it real for you. A um, couple of pieces of news that hit uh, hit the desk again. We're recording here on Friday, October seventh, thirty one days from the time Dayton takes the floor for the games that matter against Lindenwood. But um, two things that hit the desk today. Number one. Dayton travels to Las Vegas November 15th. That's a Tuesday to play at UNLV. And I have some bad news for all of y'all. Dayton got screwed because of television. That game will be tipping off at 8 p.m. local time. And if you're familiar with time zones, you know that means 11 p.m. Oh, no. Eastern back in the Gem City and where I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh, PA. That's a killer, Drew. The last time on that Dayton... On a Tuesday, bro. The last time Dayton played a game this late, if you do recall, was round one of the 2015 tournament when their game with Providence was the last game of the night and then got pushed back because the game ahead of them went to overtime. So I think that game started at 11.15, um, but it was a Friday. Everybody had many adult beverages beforehand, and 
it was a fucking NCAA tournament, not a throwaway non-con game on a Tuesday in November. So this one's going to be tough. I hope the boys get a nap in because uh, that's going to be a long sickos. day. One yeah. for sickos. It is. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to crank out uh, a post-game wrap-up for that one, Drew. That was going to be tough. I'm we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Who knows? <laughs> You're leaving the door open for that. I'll huh? Leave the door open. I'm not. I'm not ruling anything out just yet. <laughs> well, um, the other piece of news that uh, that came across my desk today was the not so secret scrimmages are now out. They are available for your consumption, and if you are particularly interested in the not so secret scrimmages that take place, Dayton's will be at Bethany College, which is actually. Not too far away from where I live here in Pittsburgh. It's in that little weird pinky panhandle of West Virginia. Um, And they will be taking on WVU. That'll be October 22nd. So two Saturdays uh, from tomorrow at the time of this recording. Um, Those are always my favorite, Drew, because there's always like some nugget that leaks out about Dayton winning or losing that people are just like, oh man, we won this game. Can you believe it? Or it's like, Oh, Dayton lost by 30. Like, what if they're not as good as we think? I love the overreactions to the not-so-secret scrimmages. They are one of my favorite pastimes in the preseason. It's the only time when both teams win the basketball game. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the only time because, like, you come away from it. It's like, oh, we won or no, we won. And obviously, they keep score in these. I'm more so thinking about, like, the NFL joint practices. I always love it because, like, the beat writers will come away. It's like, the Eagles beat Ryder. The Eagles won the day. The Browns beat Ryder. The Browns won the day. It's just like, again, back to, like, just mindless discussion. But those are, you know, but they are a good way to kind of see where you're at. They're a good tune-up. Get, you know, see a different body. Go up against someone different. You know, that's a real thing in sports when you're, you know, you're just banging against the same guy over and over and over again. It's always good to see a different face, a fresh face on the other side of the court. So, you know, obviously they're kind of cannon fodder to to talk about and, you know, in some ways mock, but I do think they are extremely valuable for the actual team. Yeah, absolutely necessary for the guys in the preseason and um, a a point of discussion for, for fellas like ourselves and uh, will continue to be Um, transitioning into the scheduling talk. You know, we usually put out a schedule episode every year and uh, I think we'll, we'll get to it in a certain capacity. This preseason we will be coming at you every Thursday until the season starts on, uh, November 7th, a month from today. But Drew, we were looking through the schedule again uh, before we went on today. And I got to say, you know, usually we come on here and we poo poo schedule and boy, why didn't Dayton do more? And then we kind of talk about the challenges. Well, the challenges of scheduling are well spoken for at Dayton. Um, we know how hard it is to get teams to come and play at Dayton because it is a high risk, no reward play for a lot of programs. And for Dayton, you don't want to go so far down the rankings, you know, maybe outside the top 60 where your return trip next year or if you go on the road this year could really bite you in the ass and be a bad loss on the schedule. Well, for for better or worse, I think Dayton has towed that line extremely well this year. And more so, they did a good job of getting Dayton tested early on in the year. Last year, uh, we belabored it many times, started one in three. They had four cupcakes. They dropped 75% of them. They were playing terrible basketball. Then they turned the season around, and they went and won uh, three games in the Thanksgiving tournament. Uh, This year's not going to be that way. Dayton will actually be fairly tested by the time that they get to the bad boy mowers battle for Atlantis, where you're going to see lots of commercials for lawnmowers. 
and middle-aged dads uh, driving around in them. But Lindenwood, obviously, easy tune-up team that's in a f- uh, first year of Division One. Uh, they're located just outside of St. Louis, which I actually learned when the s- schedule came out. But then SMU comes to town Friday, November 11th. That's going to be a really good matchup for Dayton as a litmus test right out of the gate. And then a couple of days later, they go at UNLV at the aforementioned game at the Thomas and Max Center for that late tip-off, which is on CBS Sports Network. Come home for Robert Morris, and then it's out to Atlantis to play Wisconsin. Um, Drew, before we came on, again, we were talking about, I think this is one of the strongest non-cons that UD has had in quite some time, but it does toe that fine line of not putting them in harm's way because pretty much all of these games that I see are winnable, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I echo everything you said about, you know, getting tested early. Uh, but there's no game on here that I'm, you know, shaking in my boots over. Even um, Kansas. We don't shake yeah, in our boots even, over Kansas anymore. Not this no, program. Never. They're a football school. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> no, but they're fresh off I, a national championship to being a football school. Yep, for sure. Uh, but again, you know, don't really have too much more to add on beyond what you said. Like what we got, uh, that tilt at Virginia Tech is going to be a, a gutter war, I think. And uh, a lot of juice in the arena for SMU being the second game on the schedule. I like that. Yeah, it's great. And it's great that we are able to have that on a Friday night. It's great that we are able to have that when students are in session. Because frankly, those are the things that make the difference. We talked about it a lot in 2020 and um, how Dayton games feel like they matter because you are with as many people as you are, and it also matters to them. Um, the crowd around you is really what makes this all feel special and like it matters that you're a part of something. And uh, I think in 2020, it really shined a light, or I guess the, the 21 season, as it were, shined a light on the fact that getting together and going to games and seeing all those people that you watch games with, interacting with those people who also love Dayton basketball, is why all of this is so enjoyable. And so it's it's going to be great to get back to that. And like I said, the little parts of having the students on campus, having it on a Friday night, that is what really takes the arena to the next level. And I have no doubt that uh, right out of the gate, uh, it will be a, a test for UD, but it'll be just a... Uh, an electric atmosphere in the arena, and I cannot wait for that one. Uh, we're doing the pregame show at Tim's. Um, I think I'm just letting you know this for the first time because I haven't texted uh, yeah, you about it. Yeah, this is breaking news. This is it is. I'm breaking news to you. <laughs> I'm breaking news to you on the podcast, but I'm going to mention it another at least one more time uh, during the uh, the podcast show here today. But uh, we'll be at Tim's pregame show on uh, Friday, November 11th. So come out if you're in town. Uh, we'll be there until 30 minutes before tip off, as per usual. Because we're you know we're your fan show. We got to get to the game too. All right, we're not sitting courtside. We're just like you, and that's that's what we you know that's what we aim to do. So, Drew, I wanted to I wanted to uh, close up the, the opening of the show tonight with something specific, and um, I I think uh, there's been a lot of lessons learned over the four or five years that uh, I've been doing this podcast, and uh, you've been with me, you know, and you've learned a lot about the podcasting world. And so I wanted to close up the opening of the show tonight before we kick it over the interview with Brooks Hall into lessons that I've learned in, in my five years. And some of you roll your eyes at these, but I'm, I'm going to be as genuine as I can in saying that I have learned a great deal both from 
people on Twitter, people around me that I'm close to, and and people that are close to the program that I've interacted with, and even those around the A10 who have given me feedback on what to do, how to put a good show out for you, and not to be fake about it. And so first point is that it's always about towing the line here on the radio. And um, I think when I started my first couple of years doing this, I I did kind of skew towards being hot take guy because I was a, a prisoner of the emotions after the game, you know, and, and we're still that way to a certain point. So point number one, I've learned that you always have to think about what's going on in the airwaves and what's being tweeted out and, and you hit send. And I've learned this, this lesson. I pretty much learn it every year. I have too many beers watching the game. Some guy says something stupid or tries to offend me and I fire back and I say something very childish and juvenile. I'm pretty good at that. I do it a whole lot. Um, but what I've learned here is that there is, it's okay to get wrapped up in those emotions after the game. Um, but it all has to be taken in context, right? Nobody's life's changing because of the outcome of the Dayton Flyers game. And uh, the sun always comes up the next day. And so point number two is not keeping those emotions the next day or two days from them or coming on afterwards and uh, and letting it boil over, right? We're always going to tell you how it is on this program. We're going to try to keep it as real as we can with you. But I think in my early years, I really did cross that line a little bit because my emotions were getting the best of me because I care a lot about the program and I want UD to win. Before I get on to the other points, Drew, does that resonate with you? I mean, I feel like we've both done that, probably me more so than than you over the years here. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a pretty patient individual by nature. Um, when I played sports in high school, I was a good athlete, no big deal. Um, <laughs> I always, my rule was always 12 hours. I always gave myself 12 hours to be pissed off or happy with the result of whatever contest I played at the end of that 12 hours, it was time to move forward. And I feel that way when we talk about it, when we talk about this on the podcast is where when we do those rapid reactions, I feel myself get more and more wrapped up in, into a vacuum with what happened in front of me for the past two and a half hours. And that's why we do them because they are raw. Right. And that was going to be my point is like, when I get those 12 hours, I get the perspective of what it means What's like, what do I think is going to happen? Move forward. And all that discussion's all well and good, but everybody knows the best content comes right off the rip. It is. Yeah. And, and that's exactly why I brought this up is because we're going to do some rapid reactions that get super hot, right? They're the best. And they're the best there. And there has been so many instances over the years where, uh, you know, I'll tweet something out about this side of the other thing, a game that was just played. And then generally speaking, the next day, I'm like, all right, my take isn't that hot. It's probably miles, probably in the middle of the road. But at the end of the day, what I want listeners to remember is that if we were all sitting together over beers, we were at Flanagan's after the game, we would probably have a perfect arc of conversation where you don't get that on Twitter. And what I mean by arc of conversation is you start at a point, it gets really hot, everybody's defending their point, you get to this boiling point, and then you eventually come down on that curve to an amicable solution and where cooler heads prevail. And when you're, you know, in front of people, those conversations are typically different than when you're behind a keyboard. And that's not lost on anybody, of course. But I will just promise all of you here that we have learned lessons from those hot reactions. I've learned lessons from the Flyers doing less than I think, not meeting expectations. 
Um, but at the end of the day, we're fans. And I say this a lot. We've always said this a lot is that if we didn't care, we probably wouldn't get as angry as we do. Right. Exactly. That's what it all boils down to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the, the other lesson that I've learned is that as you get older, um, the line has to be drawn over what needs to be said and, and what doesn't need to be said. That extends to personal life, professional life, family life. There are a lot of things out there that can be said that don't need to be said. And I think uh, in my 20s, that was definitely a, a lesson that I, I had to learn, right? Uh, the team might stink certain nights. But the reality is the team probably knows that they stink. And I learned this epi- this um, from a, a good friend of mine on the radio, Mo Egger, who I do try to emulate a lot on this podcast, is that you speak about college players differently than professionals because professionals are getting paid to do a job. College players, of course, are now getting paid to do it, but the point still stands. They get a different rhetoric than, uh, say, the middle linebacker of the Steelers or Browns in your case. True. So... Um, I think that's important to remember. And I think the last thing that that I have learned is that I've never had anything but a positive conversation with all of you in person over the years. I have hundreds of you that have come up, said, hey, love the show. Great show. And so what I've learned is that those interactions are way more important than the vitriol that gets spewed on Twitter. And I want people to always remember that. The reality of conversations face-to-face are often more tame, more realistic, and more enjoyable than those we have on Twitter. I do love all you people on Twitter who interact with the show and you keep listening and you keep us honest. But always remember that if you had that conversation face-to-face, it would go differently and cooler heads would probably prevail. So those are my lessons, Drew. Those are what I've learned. Amen. Echo them all. No, I mean, if if you have more lessons learned over the year, we can of course get into them. But I uh, I just wanted to start the season there. I want to start the show there. We're gonna keep it real with you guys, but I promise it'll just be a little bit more polished and a little bit more tame. And honestly, that's what you get from the number one podcast in the A10 after six or seven years. I mean, this is what you get. You get a polished product. If if you go back and listen to some of our early episodes. It wasn't this way. We're truly turning a corner into being a professional operation over here. And we thank you all for listening and being a part of it. Drew, anything to add before we get over to the Brooks interview? Uh, Not too much to add. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from Brooks here, what he thinks about this year's squad. I'm going to go out on a limb. I have not heard the interview. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's bullish on the Flyers this year. (laughs) He will admit that he is playing the role of optimist again on Talking Out Loud, but it's enjoyable just the same. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here on Talking Out Loud. We'll be right back with Brooks Hall. This is episode one of the 23 season right here on Talking Out Loud with Sully Andrew. Be right back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rolling right along in the first episode of Talking Out Loud back for the 2023 season. And recurring guests is what we like to do around here. People familiar with the program, around the program a lot. And who is more familiar with the program than our own number 33, Brooks Hall. Again, been on the program many a time, but episode one had to bring him back into the fold because uh, Brooks said that he just went to practice, got a good look at the team. So uh, the outlook is certainly optimistic for this year with the Dayton Flyers. But it's probably worth getting under the hood a little bit and uh, learning more about what Brooks saw at practice this past week. Brooks, great to have you back on the show, man. It's uh, it's weird we haven't talked in a few months, and that's rare for us because during the season, I text you more than some family members, man. It's always <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been, I mean, long time coming, man. I, I've missed you, and it's, it's, I'm glad that you decided to bring me out for the first show because, uh, you know, a lot to talk about, a lot of excitement for the upcoming season, but um, it's early. And this, hey, listen, this is when I get to be crazy optimistic, and you can't say anything because there's nothing okay. out there yet. Yeah, I can't. I can't say nothing. And you, you, you've been closer than I have to the team. Uh, when I was on campus last week, they didn't roll out the red carpet for me to see practice. So you're right. You got a little bit closer uh, th- than I have so far. Um, again, reminder, co- recording on Friday, October 7th, 31 days until Dayton opens the season against Lindenwood at UD Arena. Um, should be a seven o'clock tip for that one, but not announced yet. Um, Brooks, you know, we'll start here tonight with... Um, the preparations for the season, man. And, you know, you, you had four years where October meant you're getting ready for basketball, right? Leaves are changing. It's getting colder on campus. In October, uh, for the regular listeners, regular fans, what are you working on this this part of the off season? as you're one month away? You've been practicing for the better part of half a year now. What does that last month look like leading up to the season? And, I mean, you can speak to your own experience more than – exactly the way it is now because obviously ag is going to be a little bit different than the way op did things back in the day right yeah but i mean i'm around enough that i can speak to kind of what ag does now as yeah. well so you know but but in theory everybody kind of still does the same thing where it's your your conditioning right now it's, it's heavy conditioning heavy weights you're still into your, your strength conditioning part but you're also now starting to implement concepts you're not really into a whole lot of play implementation but but mm-hmm. you are in terms of you know sets, but you are starting to focus on concepts and you're putting them in three on three action and a lot of ISO things. Um, and then when they start to play, because they did get up and down the other day, I got to watch them scrimmage a lot. Even in that, you're not stopping and calling plays yet, right? You, you know, yeah. there's some structure because they understand the concepts, but it's just more you're you're paying more attention to the fundamentals, defensive positioning, rotations, just just laying the foundation before they really start to build the house, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, man. And so that's a good point you brought up. What's different about the way AG runs practice versus what you were used to with Oliver Purnell, you know, back in your playing days? Like, is it a lot different? Is he a lot similar? I would have to imagine that AG's coaching strategy is is pretty polar opposite from what OP did. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I guess the biggest difference, and, and honestly, I think it's more evolution of the game, and it's not really an OP versus AG in that everything is a lot yeah everything is a lot faster now yeah so so even the tempo and reps in practice i mean it's i'm sure there were some guys 20 years ago some coaches that were that believed in up tempo practices bob huggins comes to mind you know some of your higher score kentucky wildcats back in the day but yeah but but for the most part things were a little bit slower and more under control well now everything is is fast speed right it's it's pace so full speed. So um, that's the biggest difference I can tell. You know, AG's practice, it's its constant movement and energy. And, and again, I think that's just kind of what all coaches do now. That's just kind of what it's turned into. So, um, you know, even your drills, I mean, it's everything is so fast. Um, you know, it would be a fun – I wish I could play today. You know, I wish I could take <laughs> my, tw- my, my 21-year-old self and played in today's game, man, it's just a lot of – everything's more spaced out and just up and down. It's just, you know, the game is a little, a lot different now. You know, that's why I always get a really good laugh out of old timers who are like, um, you know how they like to do it on Twitter. Even when you're, you're at the local bar at Dayton, like, Oh, Don May is the best player in program <laughs> history, you know? And of course you, you can't compare guys in, in different eras. That's why yeah. the Jordan and LeBron debate is so fucking tireless yeah. every year, you know? Yeah. Um, but from a realistic standpoint, anybody that played 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, I think all those types of guys are willing to admit that they would get run straight off a of court in 2022. Because it's just, I mean, you're training and you're getting ready for a season year round. I have to imagine dudes in the 60s like Don May were like smoking heaters after practice, like on the way back to the dorms, you know, like, and it's not like I'm not crapping on the guys in the know, 60s. It's just... It's just it's a different time, man. And um, of course, you know, when you watch footage of everybody loves when I do the the old voices of Flyers in the 50s and it dribbles the ball up the floor. And it, like all those guys back then, it, it makes me laugh because they're like their palms are parallel to the floor while they're dribbling. And everybody's putting up like granny shots from the foul line. And it um, of course, I'm, I'm speaking in extremes here, but hammering home the point that you're spot on and that preparations have evolved just because the game has evolved and it's not necessarily a reflection on this coaching style or the other, but merely um, kind of what it takes to succeed and survive in, in the world of college basketball. So um, speaking of that, you know, surviving college basketball, the new landscape we're heading into uh, the transfer portal is as hot as ever. And I don't think that's going to change with the new world of NIL and whatnot. And, you know, Brooks, I, I think we find ourselves in a similar position this year as we did last year and i think it's important to highlight for folks that this is probably closer to the reality of dayton moving forward than anything else that i think i think correct me if i'm wrong but it seems like ag wants to bring in as many guys as possible 10 to 12 dudes to start every season and then they're basically expecting to lose three two or three guys to the transfer portal every year because I don't see this year being any different. And again, it's not throwing stones at any guy on the court. It's just 
We've seen what AG likes to do. And frankly, what's worked in the A-10 and around college basketball, you get that rotation down to seven or eight guys. Maybe two more dudes are chipping in minutes by January. But that's it. And so you look down the roster and you know that there's going to be two or three guys that transfer out. Now, we're sitting here in October. I don't know who those guys are, and I certainly won't speculate as to such. But... I, I mean, you see the game going that way, right? And and does that kind of feel like how Dayton's going to position ourselves best for success moving forward? Man, that's a really deep topic. Um, yeah, the, there's the, a lot the, to it. There is. Yeah, there, it is. And so what I'll do is that's a whole segment itself, right? But but yeah, what I'll, yeah. how I'll answer that is the simple answer is yes. That is kind of the, and not even just specifically to Dayton, right? Like it's no, that's not that's specific nature, to Dayton. Yeah, yeah. That that's the nature of what the recruiting game has turned into. The biggest thing that killed, I shouldn't say killed it, because you have your opinion whether you love it or hate it. The biggest thing that that changed recently over the last couple of years, it's that automatic eligibility. Yeah. So so where you used to have to transfer, and and sit, well. So there wasn't a lot of substance in the transfer portal. Like it was guys that played four minutes a game or, you know, whatever. Well, now, man, you've got first teamers in there and guys that just left because they don't like the weather. I mean, you can leave for whatever reason you want and be automatically eligible. So, yes, that is where we're at now, where you don't have to fight through the hard times. If you're not if you're not happy with the situation, guess what? You just leave and go play somewhere else next year. So. So, yeah, man, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, because I, I don't love that guys could just bounce around nonstop. But again, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but yeah, man, that's where we're at. So to, to tie it to Dayton, absolutely. Like I would expect we would lose a couple guys a year and not because of anything that, that Anthony, you know, AG and staff are doing. Like I it just, it's a, it's what have you done for me lately mentality. And if, if, if I'm not playing or my role is not what I think it should be, I can leave with, with, with no punishment, you know, there's no consequence. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. And I understand, and of course, I think there's a historical element to what you're saying, right? Like, if you look at your playing days and you say there were real consequences to transferring back then, and even five years ago, you had to sit yeah. out. And I can see why former players would be a little bit hesitant to be so outwardly. Um, uh, you know, just praising the concept of, oh yeah, you can transfer wherever you want. Like I get why there's pushback to that in college basketball. It makes perfect yeah. sense to me, but it's, it's the, the old adage, like the pain of the status quo has to outweigh the pain of the change. And for however many years in college basketball, that was not the case. You know, the, the pain of change was great. You had to go to another program. You had to sit out an entire year when you're developing and you're not going to get game action. And now all of a sudden it's flipped, you know, because in 20 years ago or 10, you had to say, all right, is my situation bad enough, right? Is my pain here, the status quo, bad enough for me to make a switch and go through that pain of change? And now it's flipped because if guys are like, man, you know, I don't like this system or year one, I don't like this coach. There really is no pain in changing. You go into the portal. Everybody knows you're in there. Uh, Mid-majors, anybody can can get your name off the scrap heap. And so um, it has been interesting to see that that flip. And like you said, it could be an entirely other segment in itself because it seems like people have really hot opinions about it. Um, I, I really don't just because I, I think I pretty much always am going to be 
pro athletes, um, for, you know, for the most part, like coaches can go whatever, can go wherever and do whatever they want. They're going to get buyouts. They're going to get millions of dollars. And now the stakes are being evened a little bit, you know, where guys are getting paid, um, paid, you know, what they should be getting paid to make money off their likeness and then players can go and, and kind of transfer. So I, I don't have a problem with it, but I do, I'm not naive to why this is going to be problematic in college basketball moving forward. So I don't I'll know. Say I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this, but I know we're going to move on, but I will say this. I'm actually okay with it. If, if we really, if we really peeled it back and, and I had to give an opinion, yeah, I, I'm okay with it. I, I do think there's challenges with allowing people to just kind of, transfer wherever for whatever reason but at the end of the day your college experience playing you know your college playing experience it's supposed to be the best you know you work your butt off to get there so you've got four years to make the most of it right so you you have to find a situation that you think is best for you whether or not i agree with it or, or somebody else agrees with it you at least you can control your own destiny as a player now, there's risk with that. You you put yourself in the portal and you're not leaving for the right reasons. You think there's something else better out there and you get stuck in the portal and nobody picks you up. So you don't you don't get where you think you should go. Um, and you sometimes either are left without an opportunity or have to go down a level. I mean, there's risk to it. But yep. but just so I'm clear, man, I don't I actually like that they can leave and, and play immediately. Um, I just don't yeah. I just don't like the people that abuse that. Uh, and, and then I, I feel bad for the ones it leaves some of these coaches who do it the right way and are all about and and because it, it shakes up these rosters so bad. Yeah. So you've got coaches that are trying to build. It really hurts some of the coaches that do it the right way. They're trying to build smaller programs and, you know, it, it screws them. But, you know, like I said, man, that's a whole nother segment. So. <laughs> it makes the job harder. But, Brooks, that is why they get paid the big bucks, the man. Big bucks. Uh, they get paid yeah. more than you and I do. And um, yeah. I just, again, contextually, I just wanted to bring it up today because I think for listeners, what's valuable is to understand this is kind of where Dayton's heading and it's out of necessity. It's not like this is sure. what we, we will choose to be, right? Like, I think if AG had his way, he'd get 13 guys in and all of them would graduate in four years. And that's just not going to happen. So I think it's intelligent and I think it's forward thinking to shift to this strategy of let's bring in as many dudes as we can. Let's get as many athletes on campus and let the chips fall. Um, and, you know, me and you being in the corporate world, I don't really see it as any different than jumping jobs and going to another job when the situation better suits you. It's really the exact same thing, except you're 18 and 19 years old and you don't have as much historical knowledge or you don't tend to know what you're doing. And then, of course, we've talked about many, many times before what's uh, the um, the dark cloud that hangs over. This is the bad advice that a lot of kids get from the right. outside looking in. But as you said, we won't go down that path today. We've talked about that many times on this podcast. And if you're a, uh, a listener of the show and have been for many years, you know that we have belabored that point, that that's probably one of the biggest problems in college basketball to date. So I will digress from that because uh, it's a good segue to introduce some of these dudes. And uh, we're 15 minutes in, didn't talk about your visit to practice yet, but that's that's really what we're here to do preseason, man. Um, 
I think the, the word around campus right now or the word around Flyer Nation is that expectations are high. Um, but secondarily, the Flyers have like, what, 10 or 12 guys who are trying to get minutes this year. Um, so what have you seen so far? I mean, I said on Twitter, I know you saw it, that I think the key to the season is going to be Dayton figuring out who those core guys are and figuring out the role players as soon as possible. But what were your immediate impressions from practice, man? Well, we'll start we'll start with we'll start with my my impressions of practice, and then we can talk kind of thoughts on rosters and what that's going to look like, or uh, yeah. rotations, what that'll look like. You know, so just for context, that was the first practice I had been to um, since I don't know. It's been months, right? Like it's I want to get in there now. We're getting close to the season. I'll start going probably once a week, but that was the first one. Okay, so what I saw, it's a it's a snapshot of, you know, where they're probably actually at. It's a one day observation. It's initial observations. I think I'd like to think my listeners are intelligent enough to draw that line, Brooks. Let's, let's, you know, not high hand them. Let's assume everybody listening out there knows these are very initial observations of the season. That's what you're getting a month out. You're being very nice because I don't. I'm setting I don't the know. stage. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, so no. With that being said, man, very excited. Actually, I think they're. I think they are further along than I thought they would be. And what do I mean by that? Well, I, I'm. The, the intensity at practice was through the roof to the point where, um, I'm not. I mean, it wasn't a, Dr- a Draymond Green Jordan Poole situation. It's <laughs> topical today, right? But. but but it, there were some intense in, interactions. Let's put it that way, where yeah, yeah. players were challenging other players. Kobe Elvis challenging Caleb Washington. Washington challenging him. I mean, it was, um, and there were there were a couple of those uh, competitive type drills to where it was a healthy competition. It was it was a healthy challenge. You know, it was, and then then right after that, I would see them later on dap each other up. You know, yep. so it wasn't it wasn't ongoing beef or anything. That's what I wanted to see. Like where. How are they from forget the physical part, like on paper, we can talk about all that later. Absolutely loaded. Like it's ridiculous what this roster has. We can get into that later. Yeah. Forget all that. That's not going to be the issue. What's going to be the issue are things that you, you know, the intangibles, the mental toughness, the leadership, the effort, all those other little things, the buy in. That's what I was looking for. And so for day one, they were way past where I thought they would be. Um. Malachi was, you know, leading. Um, same thing with Deron. That has not dropped off. They yeah. were both leading. But then what I loved was Kobe Elvis was clearly, uh, he's clearly established himself or is establishing himself in the process of becoming a verbal leader, uh, yeah. which which I love. That's because cool. what happens is everybody knows Monty. I'm sorry, uh, Molly, you know, Malachi. And everybody knows, you know, Deron. Okay, so so now what? Is there going to be somebody else that could kind of assist them, or is it just literally going to be those two guys and everybody else falls in line? It, it's always nice to kind of have that third, like a Trey Landers type, where I'm not comparing the talent level. They're different players, but Kobe, you know, who else is going to be a vocal leader that actually impacts the game? Not that Trey didn't, but but he was kind of a, a glue guy, right? Well, Kobe Elvis is more than just a glue guy. Yeah. So so now to have three high impact players that are also leaders, that's big, really big. Yeah, you know me, I was always I always tell you this, like I want dogs in the program. I don't want I don't go. want no boys you taking home to mom. Like I want dogs. That's no that's doubt. what that's what lead that's what wins games in the A ten, you know? That's um, it. But 
so that let's you know expound upon that a little bit um, from last year, not necessarily even from the first first practice that you saw, but what's different this year than last year? Is it is it the same kind of answer? Is it the intensity in practice, or is it just more everybody more understanding their role now? A couple things. So so one, if we remember last year, nobody wanted to hear it as an excuse. We talk about how young they were and they didn't know, you know, from from day one where he had to build. I talk about him building the foundation. Now I mentioned earlier, well, imagine the so he's starting basically, you know, foundation is pretty much built because everybody came back last year. He had to create the foundation. Right. So I was at practice last year watching them do like defensive shell drills that you do in fifth grade. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I, but I get it. He was teaching guys basic fundamentals that some of them didn't know coming out of high school. Well, we don't have to do that this year. Like, so, so that's the, that's number one. One of the biggest differences where he's starting now is, is a million times more advanced than where, where he had to start the beginning of last year. Yeah. So, so that's relevant because, you know, we lose those early season games, which no excuse. We shouldn't have lost them. But it was because he was starting from apps. They were starting from scratch. You know what I mean? So yeah, it shows. That, should not, that should not be an issue this year because, man, they – so that was number one. Where, where they're, they're so far ahead of where they started last year. Yeah. Number two, physically you can see that guys have developed their bodies. Deron is huge. And, and I mean Seen huge. That. Yeah, he's a big he's a big dude, and I say huge comparing him to what he was last year. I mean, he he's he's legit packed on twenty pounds of muscle, and you could see it shoulders, arms. Because um, if you had to pick a weakness or a flaw of his, that was probably one of the only ones. Yeah, for sure. Right, so he's addressed that. Malachi, big. He he got he 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 was already a stocky type guard. He's gotten stronger. Yeah, Kobe put everybody. I can go through the list. They've all gotten bigger, stronger. Um. And then the skill development. Uh, Zemi looked great. I can talk about the returners, like all of the Blakeney, everybody, the, all, all the impact players that returned looked good. They looked better. Yeah. But let's talk about Caleb Washington. He looked great. A guy that's going to compete for minutes. We can get into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but he looked really good. Uh, Zemi. Zemi looked like the Zemi of two years ago. Yeah. You know, that was – it was good to see. Um, so – Skill development is my point. Like it looks like everybody they are they're not coming back as the same players they were last year. Yeah, and and I mean that point is well received around Flyer Nation because um, I think you remember years ago that was always the biggest complaint of all the BG teams and all the guys that came in under Brian Gregory is that they had a lot of talent and then they kept having a lot of talent and then they left school having that talent and it, it never got as good as it should have to, I think, a lot of people, right? So yeah. that's that point is is well-received. Like, it's something that I think you, you you take for granted until it's not there, you know, until you have a coaching staff that's not developing your talent or is recruiting at a very high level and then is doing nothing with it. Um, I'm a Penn State football fan. There's, there's a lot of recruiting at a high level and then not winning with it. So, I, you know, I can relate to that point as well. Um so, yeah, you know, that that part's good to hear. And I mean, we've always said AG is such a great recruiter and, and this is the the other step to it. Right. Bring the guys in and then develop them. And um, you saying about Duran packing on weight, it, it definitely reminds me of Chris Wright when I was in school, because 
I know Chris like came in same way from Trotwood, like you know, skinny dude, but he could jump out of the gym. And then by the time he was like a sophomore, or, like beginning of junior year, he looked like a superhero. You know, he put on yep. like 30 pounds of muscle and like all those guys were just in the gym all the time. And um, so, you know, shades of Chris there. And, and I think that was like you said, that was the number one thing with uh, Duran that you need to work on. And um, but not even work on it because he's a young guy. He's a freshman. Like you right, just need right. that time in the gym. There's nothing you can make up for it doing. Um, you got to hit the weight rack, man. But <clears throat> I mean, early, early, go ahead. Well, I was going to say too, you know, uh, to kind of go along with that before we move on, you know, Ma- like I know somebody asked me on Twitter, Malachi, you know, Molly's jump shot. Well, here's what I'll say. <laughs> his, his jump shot looks smoother, but what's crazy is he's so good. He's taking his game to the next level. Like he played, he already plays like a seasoned veteran, how he is off the pick and roll and, Getting into you cannot stop him from getting to where he wants to get. I don't care who you are and how good you are. He's either going to do it off the bounce, he's going to do it off a screen and roll. It does. so yeah, his his jumper looked better, but but his game has improved. He's already improved on what he was good at last year, which was getting into the lane and creating for others. He looks even better this year at doing that. It's just one of those guys where you can back off of him if you want to, but he's still going to get to that lane even if you back off of him. He. You know what I mean? Like that's dangerous. Yep. I mean, yep. it's just Kobe, same thing. Like Kobe looked more comfortable where he can play that combo guard. Um, he's a bucket. You know, we said it last year, but he now learned people didn't love him at the one. I didn't love him at the one, but he was, he was, a. I mean, I know he played at DePaul, but, but he was still learning how to play the one yeah. this year. He can do both if needed, but here's the biggest thing. I know people want to know. Let me give you my opinion on Mike. Mongolian Everybody Mike. wants to that's exactly what I was gonna ask you. Everybody wants Already to know quit. about the Mongolian Mike situation here. Mongolian Mike. I'm a guy that is slow to anoint people because in my world, and I'm in AAU and high level and rankings and scale, I, I just get how those rankings go and people yeah. miss all the time. This guy's ranked that and ranked this. I don't care. Like that's cool, whatever. But can they hoop? That's what I want to see. And I'm gonna go watch with a critical eye. And, and I, I pride myself on being able to evaluate talent and dissect because I was an IQ guy. So just dissecting the, the nuances of a, of, a, of a player and how they play that I love doing that. With that being said, Mongolian Mike is a, is a monster. He, he is all the hype that he's getting 100 percent legit. He will play this year. He out. Another thing. I was a guy that questioned, could he play backup point guard? Because. It's one thing to play point guard in high school and everybody says, oh, he was a point guard. Who cares? It is a completely different animal to play the point at the collegiate level, especially a high level. Mm-hmm. He can do that. His vision, his his playmaking, he can shoot the ball from 26 feet effortlessly. He's way more athletic than people even realize. That that surprised me. He's one of the more athletic guys on the team at 6'8". Yeah. And then and then here's where I where I was sold on him. His defensive IQ was there because a lot of times you have to hide your freshman defensively Yep. while while they learn how to play in the rotation. And the game is so much faster from high school to college that freshmen sometimes struggle to catch on defensively. Right. He looked now again, it was my first practice, but they were going live five on five. And do, he looked good defensively in the right position. You know, he was rotating. Well, he was his on ball defense was good. If, I'm going to go back and watch the next few weeks, but first impression, he's going to be in that top eight. He's going to play. 
And that was my main question because um, you know me, I'm like the anti preseason hype guy. And I'm not like saying I'm like, you know, shitting all over the season or anything, but I just, I'm a, I have to see to believe, you know. Me too. Um, I, I'm not a person that really puts stock in recruiting or the recruiting announcements or whatever. You know, uh, there's a, an old saying this is on a, a 30 for 30 documentary about SMU. This football coach for SMU used to say, don't uh, don't show me the labor. Just show me the baby. And and I'm, I'm kind of that way. Like I, I do understand like what he's saying as a football coach. Like I don't care about how you get to school or what the, the pedigree recruiting rankings are. Just show me the work, you know, at the end of the day. And so I'm always the same way. Like I'm pretty hesitant to say this freshman's going to be great or whatever. And especially because guys have come out of nowhere. I mean, um, Obi, you know, he sat on the bench and he was a red shirt and we were like, all right, well, we might get something out of this guy. Maybe not. You know, he's a red shirt freshman. And then he ended up being like the best player in program history. Alternatively, you know, we've had guys that have been highly recruited come in and it hasn't worked out the, the way that we thought for a number of reasons. I won't get into all of those today. But point still it being is that uh, the rubber meets the road when the games start. And um, I think. I am most optimistic, and I don't know if you've talked to the players about this, but I'm most optimistic about the start of this season because this team now will not take a single minute on the court for granted. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm selling them a little bit too short to say that they did, but you can't tell me you start one and three that you were really valuing every game or you were really respecting every opponent. I think that probably is a better way to say it, like respecting opponents, because you know, I've talked with players here year in, year out. They're not dumb. If you're playing Houston Baptist on a Wednesday, you got to get yourself up for that game harder than VCU on Friday night on ESPN. It's just Absolutely. reality, you know? Yeah. And and last year, it was it was pretty clear that whether they didn't respect the opponents, overlooked them, or didn't have things together, or maybe a combination of all of those, I am fairly confident to sit here in October and say that is not going to happen again. And, and I, I guess I'm getting to it. You know, have you talked to the guys about that or was there a sense that, hey, game one, we're going to be ready more so than we were last year? Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, yeah, let's you know, and I'm, I'm the one of the biggest fans out there. Right. Those are my brothers. So so like I defend them. Uh, now, you know, I keep it real. I call it how it is. But I, but there's always yeah. gonna, there's usually going to be an optimistic Tent to it, to what I say, yeah. right? Spin, spin you're zone. Call that, yeah. Yeah, well, you're 100 percent right, and they they'll admit this. Those games they dropped in that first four game stretch, you know, when they lost those three. Now, of course, they didn't respect the game, but you you hit it on the they didn't respect their opponents, but you hit it on the head though, because it did go hand in hand with them learning as new guys or young guys, not knowing the system and all those things that you know basketball wise why they weren't ready. And then you throw in the fact that they didn't respect their opponents, right? That's a combination to drop games you shouldn't. And that's what happened. You're 100% right. They did not respect. Now, with that being said, there's nothing even to talk about. Like, I don't even need to ask if if they're ready to roll. Like, you feel it as soon as you walk in the gym. And and I'm talking staff down through all the play. Listen, Brady Yule was going off at practice the other day. Like, <laughs> Like, like I'm, I mean, he was cooking in five on five. I say that because I'm saying everyone is locked in, and 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 they were going at him hard. I mean, so top to bottom, there was one point. Coach stopped. Coach Grant stopped practice 
And, and when I say going off, I was talking about he was hooping at practice. I don't mean he was yelling and going off for some of our older listeners that don't understand the lingo. <laughs> he, yeah. was, he was balling. Okay. Coach Grant at one point, practice was intense and it was going well, but but I forget what there was a lull. Something happened and I don't I don't remember what it was, but when I tell you he stopped practice and for about 30, 30 seconds, there was a um a, a profanity laced uh, <laughs> chewing out of, of a, pl- a particular player yeah. that, and, and basically he was like, try me if you want to. He literally said that you, you can find out if you want to like, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. He but gave, yes, he my gave him the fuck around and find out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not for real though. Like, so my point is, man, when I tell you guys are locked in, um, because last year, one of my criticisms and I'll say it, I, I talked to the coaches about this. It was even the coaches weren't locked in in terms of they were kind of spoiled with previous groups yeah. that were older. They were veterans, things that they they didn't have to do because the vets knew how to do it. They were going to do it already. Well, then that, you come in last year and you had a whole bunch of babies, if you will. Right. And coaches weren't, you know, it took them a minute to realize, oh, my God, like we got to hold their hand through everything. So so now this year, man, they are locked in. Everyone is. It was it was pretty cool. It was pretty pretty cool to be there. It was an intense first day for me. Yeah, and um, I think that's a, another good thing as we we wrap up with Brooks Hall here on Talking Out Loud for episode one. And again, thanks for joining us. Um, I, I think that is an important thing to kind of contextually note moving forward in the program because um, you know the goal is going to be to make the NCAA tournament every year. But I think if we get even more realistic, um, what what the ceiling is currently for Dayton and this might change but what I see the ceiling as currently is making this the tournament three out of four years and when you say you know that the the coaching staff needed a little bit more experience and how to guide them um, that's kind of what I hear is that moving forward if if AG and company are going to work here at UD long term which I still do believe that is the case um, we're going to have to have one of those years every now and again where the guys are young, we have a young class, we reload, and um, we work out the kinks during that season, you know, so that we have seasons like this where, hey, sky's the limit, top 10 expectations, maybe make a run in the tournament. I- I'm, I'm obviously being maybe overly realistic, but I really do see that as the, the most realistic path forward for the program is let's get in the tournament three out of four years, and then that other year, you know, maybe we have to reload. Maybe we have a really young roster. Um, it, it will be interesting to see how that becomes cyclical here at Dayton. Obviously, we'd all love to be in the tournament year in and year out, and I think that we're still capable of doing that. But you know, you got to make it three out of four years before you're making it every year, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Is that if the blueprint moving forward is bring as many guys in, see who works out, allow the transfers to go. Maybe once every four years, let's reload. I sign up for that because, you know, we're we're currently in a stretch where for many reasons, of course, haven't won a tournament game since 2015. And it's not lost on me. And I think that's what that's the cool thing about this year is that we talked about it many time. And you know, I'll, I'll let you wrap up on the same same thought is um, we're all just on the same page this year. You know, expectations are sky high. This team will be ranked to start the year. They won't have this chip on their shoulder, underdog mentality stuff. That, that's not going to be in place this year. They're going to have target on the back from day one. 
Their second game is uh, against SMU, who's going to be a tough test. Then they have to go on the road right away and play at UNLV, who's going to be like a middle-of-the-pack team. But two out of three games, they don't have cupcakes before they go into the Thanksgiving tournament. And I just am really excited for this year because the expectations are clear, and I think they're shared amongst the fan base, um, and yourself included, right? Yeah, I think for me, expectations are, are really high, but they're I mean, they're tempered. Like I, Final Four, I'm hearing people say this and that. That that's cool. And do I think that I think do I think on paper that this team could hypothetically make it to the Final Four? Of course, but there's a lot of that goes into making a run in the tournament, right? Yeah, like it exactly. Just, there's a lot that goes into that. So I, I don't play paper, that game. I just say get in first, and then we'll we'll talk right, about it after. You know, right? But but do I think on paper, if if you're you're playing, you know, paper champs, you know they have a chance to make a deep run, whatever that looks like. Now, with that being said, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at tournament, and I know the coaches are too, and, and players, NCAA tournament every year. And I get what you're saying. Three out of four, cool. Like, that's a good, you know, goal to have. But I will I accept you, that with the current state of the program. That's what I'm right. saying. <laughs> yeah, and I respect that. But what I'm telling you is that that's not even what they would be happy with, which is sure. a good thing. It's right. Thing, like yeah. you, you don't want them to be OK with three out of four. Um, they were pissed last year that they didn't get in, even though they knew it. They knew it was self-inflicted. Right. So I'm not saying that they felt like they got screwed. They were just pissed that it, they didn't get in. So you've got that motivation. And man, listen, they're returning. When I said on Twitter that this is the deepest team ever, here's why. And I was not getting I mean, I wasn't being over you know, dramatic. Yeah, I really mean that it, this team is returning. Six guys, seven guys, Molly, Duran, Brea, Elvis, Blakeney, and Tumani. And then you've got, you got Stoff. Okay, that's seven guys who were impactful players. Not just five of those guys were on the team as freshmen and they're back. Like, they all played and impacted the game. But let's take Stoff out of there. Our, the top six guys are very good players. You got Molly and Duran who could be – you know, not preseason, but who are Atlantic 10 first team potential kind of players. Throw in Elvis and Brea, who I'm not saying they'll get this because the team, the league spreads it out, right? You don't want to screw it. But Elvis and Brea and Blakeney and Tumani are all second team caliber type play. Mani might even have, he has first team caliber, you know, capabilities, right? Yeah. I'm not saying they'll make all that, but I, I, those six guys have first, second team type skill. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, basically what you're saying is that a, uh, let's say the fourth best starter on most A-10 teams would be uh, deep on the bench at Dayton. That's kind of cool. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we're so six of our guys should could, if it were all fair, right, would, could make first or second team all Atlanta 10. Yeah. Exactly. Brea, Brea Elv, Elvis, Blakeney, Tamani, Duran, and Mali. Now listen to these guys that are going to be – so those six guys will be in the rotation. And then we'll wrap this up. I know I'll be, be quick. But those six guys, that's a strong top six. Now you throw in you throw in Mike, who's going to play. And then you've got – so you've got Mike, Stoff, Zimmy, Caleb Washington. You got – we didn't even talk about Richard. We didn't even talk about Ty Baker either. We didn't even he talk about a word Ty on Baker. Podcast. That's how many guys we got. We haven't even mentioned yeah. <laughs> so, so all of those guys are fighting. So, and here, and by the way, I do think that they'll find a solid eight-man rotation, like you're saying. And then I do think two other guys will play. It'll be game to game. 
Yeah. You, you know, like I, yeah. I think Richard, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I think Caleb will, will get in some games. It'll be some games he may, you know, he'll play. This is my guest today. He'll play a few minutes a game and depending on how he's doing that game, we'll determine if he gets a few extra minutes that game or not. Yeah. You know, I think there'll be a handful of those kind of guys. Zimmy's a wild card. Zimmy has a chance to slide into that main rotation. I think people forget how good he was two years ago. Yeah. Last year, I believe he was, and I don't want to say victim of circumstance. That's too dramatic. But what happened was Zimmy missed the entire preseason with an injury and then found himself on the outside looking in of the rotation had zero confidence. Now we can pick apart and say, well, he should have sucked it up. Bottom line is that was a, a, a broken Zimmy last year. It's hard to come well, back from midseason. It is. Well, I'll tell you this, Zimmy looks back like his confidence is there. I'm not saying that turns into 20 minutes a game, but what I am saying is it's a good issue to have because Zimmy can play. Yeah. So, you know, like you said, man, I, that's why I said this team is probably the deepest team, man, that I've seen here. Yeah, we got we got a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about in the preseason, and uh, we'll leave it here for today's episode. But um, you know, we we just got to it. Like, there's there's Big Rich and there's Ty Baker, and um, you know, barely talked about Caleb Washington. It's like there's just so many guys on this team that um, yeah. th- there's a lot of mouths to feed, and that's obviously my biggest concern. While it is our biggest strength, is that there's so many dudes. Some of them are going to end the season being unhappy, but that is the nature of the beast. Um, Brooks wrapping up here and uh, always appreciate your time, man. We'll of course do it many times throughout the course of the season. Check us out on Talking Out Loud. I'll be back on Thursdays until the season starts. And then uh, the, the actual season will start on Monday night again against Lindenwood. So we'll we'll do some game recaps. We'll do some post game after those um and then we got uh, a pregame show to kick it off uh right at the start of the year i get a pregame show at timothy's bar and grill november 11th getting ready for that smu game pretty sure it's going to be a seven o'clock tip so i'm hoping to be in tim's at uh at five o'clock bringing it straight to you guys our listeners and um more to come on that but for now we got 31 days until dayton flyer season at the time of this recording and every episode ends the same way with final thoughts Brooks, what do you have final thoughts for the listeners 31 days out from the season? Man, it's going to be a fun, um, entertaining season. I think that this this team is its expectations are high as they should be, and and the, the pressure's on. But but the guys are hungry. At least from what I saw day one. Like I said, I'll be going at least once a week. Yep. To practice, so I'll keep you updated. But man, so far so good. That's what I like to hear, man. We will keep you updated, listeners, every single week here Thursdays until the season starts on November 7th. Uh, for Brooks Hall, I am Sully. I'm taking you out with a one of my favorite jams. It's called Problems, and the band is Jungle. Just saw these guys recently in Pittsburgh. I think this is like the seventh time I've seen them. They're just a groovy band that puts on a really good live show. So if you haven't checked them out before, this is my shameless plug for Jungle. I'm taking you out with Problems. This is episode number one, and we will be back next Thursday. I believe Jeff Goodman will be joining us. He actually was able to stop by practice as well last week. So he's going to give us his thoughts and uh, the outlook on the rest of the A-10 coming up next week. Again, for Brooks, I'm Sully. It's Talking Out Loud where there's always two rules. You wear red, you be loud, and we'll catch you next time.